Wilson, you sent the game-winning email at the buzzer, avoiding a 4.55 meeting on everyone's calendar. How did you do it? I got a huge assist from Grammarly, an AI writing partner that helped me make my point. And it works everywhere I write. Summarizing a doc only took one click. When everyone uses Grammarly, everything just makes sense. Go to Grammarly.com slash podcast to download it for free. That's Grammarly.com slash podcast. Easier said, done. And he swings, hits it high, and deep, and gone! Still going back! Yeah! Out of here! Welcome to the big leagues! Deep to center field, and it is gone! Wow, his first big league swing is going to be a grand slam home run. Swing and Monday the 24th, it's the call-up. I'm Arm Layton, and I'm joined by Jeff Ponce, who last time you were with us, it was a different podcast. It was Locked on MLB Prospects, and you were wearing a different hat. You were with Prospects Live. Now you are with Baseball America, Jeff. And uh, first of all, congratulations on the new gig. I knew that you were making the move. We couldn't mention it quite yet on the last episode, so really excited for you to uh, – be officially at Baseball American. You had a big say in this top 100 prospect list that I'm really excited to talk to you about. You guys killed it as usual. Uh, and this is going to be a ton of fun to go through this. Yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, it was uh, funny. I think I had maybe just accepted the position the last time that we had spoke. I think it was right before I went to the Arizona Fall League, maybe like days. And uh, yeah, so a lot has changed since then. You know, I, I came on full time. So, you know, I, I, I quit my sales job that I had had and been in sales for like 16 years. Now I get to do this full time, which is a, you know, obviously a, a blessing and a dream. And it's been, uh, it's been everything that I hope, you know, the, the team there is, you know, incredibly collaborative and knowledgeable and really professional. Uh, so I've learned a lot in my, my short time there and had the opportunity to be involved in the prospect handbook, which, you know, I believe the digital version is going to be out pretty soon. Uh, you know, there's been some delays with printing and stuff like that, but that will be out. I think we're targeting sometime February, like early March, somewhere around there. It's just, it's, it's been done since the end of December. Um, and then the top 100, of course, and then I've been doing uh, a lot more of like uh, an, analytically focused articles, kind of digging in on particularly pitchers, because I think they're more interesting. I've done some hitter stuff too, but you know, it's kind of like sea ball, hit ball, you know, hit ball hard, right? Yeah. Uh, we're you know, pitchers, there's a lot more nuances to it. So I feel like it's a it's a great sort of platform um, that can utilize at Baseball America and dig in a little bit more in that medium. Once the season starts, though, it's it's going to be back at the ballpark. It's going to be a lot of like in-person coverage and you know, I'll blend in some of my analytical uh, prowess, I guess you could say. But for the most part, it's going to be, you know, straightforward reporting and trying to make sure I see as many of these prospects as possible because now I get paid to travel around and watch baseball games during the season. So really looking forward to that. I'll probably dive into some college stuff. Uh, and of course, my first love, my only love, uh, the Cape Cod Baseball League. I'll probably get a little bit of that too. So yeah, it should be it should be a really interesting year. And, um, you know, I've had a lot of fun, had a lot of great experiences in this, this short window, you know, a little bit more than two months. Going forward, there's even more uh, to come that I'm really excited for. So yeah, it's been awesome. And, and uh, you know, JJ... You know Ben Badler, um, uh, Carlos, and Matt Eddy, and and you know Josh Norris, Kyle Glazer, all those guys are great, and uh, we have an awesome team. And you know we 
get on, you know, we put together our 150s before we do this top 100. We talk and get a ton of uh, information from executives and scouts and scouting directors and, you know, uh, analysts, uh, all with organizations to get their input on where they think players should be ranked, et cetera. And then we put everything together. So uh, it's, you know, it's a lot of fun, a lot of, lot of phone calls, a lot of long phone calls to put everything together. But I think in the end, it was a different process than anyone I had gone through before and because it was less, was less focused on my own sort of biases and opinions, I'll say. Yeah. Well, I will say though, Jeff, I mean, I, I've always very much <clears throat> agreed with a lot of your biases and opinions. And I, I always felt like, you know, we were usually in the, on the same wavelength and same page. And, and I really enjoyed going through this top 100 list for Baseball America. But before we even talk about that, you just put out a really cool piece ranking the best pitches pitches in the top 100, not best pitchers, best pitches, which kind of goes hand in hand. Um, and it's a really awesome article in Baseball America that you put out earlier, uh, I would say today, but it's Friday when we're recording this. Yeah. So cool to see some of these best pitch mixes, best pitches. Some are not surprising. Some are really like, whoa, I didn't realize his fastball was this good. Or even a Brandon Williamson, someone I love as a pitching prospect, really cool to see his fastball really in that echelon. So I'm excited to talk about some of those guys as well. Yeah. And if you don't pay for the Baseball America, I'm not going to tell you what to do with your money, of course, but if you if you don't pay for it, I'll tell you, if you have a few extra bucks laying around, it is 100% worth it uh, for the subscription. As someone who does not pay for very many subscriptions, uh, I can definitely attest to that. So we're going to bounce a little bit all over the place because <clears throat> I feel like there's no really other way to do it. I feel like this is the, the most fun way to go about it. Uh, we'll probably stick to some teams when we get to certain areas because there are some teams with some interesting themes that go through with them. Uh, but I, I want to just kind of start with the top of the list. And, you know, the, the big three at the, with Adley, Julio and Bobby Witt, I think it's fair to say you could probably make those guys interchangeable, right? I mean, <clears throat> I, I think there's a reason, obviously, why you guys have Adley there. And I'm guessing it's because he's a switch hitting catcher. Uh, but it, it, do you think that, that it's fair to say that any of those three guys could be number one? Yeah. And I think <clears throat> that was funny. And I mean, we, we actually put out, um, I think Kyle Glazer actually wrote up all three articles, but earlier in the week before we released, released the top 100, we had released, uh, you know, an article sort of diving into the case for each of them as a number one. And, um, you know, it truly was sort of a 1A, 1B, 1C sort of situation. Absolutely. We went out, we pulled it. Um, you know, we had what we thought the top three should be, each of us. You know, I personally was, was actually Julio, Witt, and then Adley. And, um, you know, I pulled my sources and then we went back again. And I went back to, to more contacts, the same thing with everybody in the team. And the more and more, I, you know, the information rolled in the more and more votes for Adley that we got. And, you know, I think part of it is being, he really should have probably exceeded his, his limits last year. I mean, he was good enough to do so. Um, the positional value, of course, and uh, the fact that he's sort of an anomaly in the sense that he is a, a, a tremendously talented offensive player, that if he was a first baseman, he probably is still a top 10 prospect with like, the least amount of positional value that you could have, you yeah. know, like if you're telling me like Adley or Andrew Vaughn, just as a hitter, you're probably taking Adley. Right. And yeah, I think absolutely usual about him and that, and I think ultimately that's probably why a lot of teams, you know, prefer that. Plus I think the safety. Um, but yeah, I mean, I had a ton of votes for Julio. Um, I felt like anybody who saw him in Arizona and saw wit, everybody voted Julio. 
you know, I guess it sort of knocks him that he's a right fielder. The one thing that I did bring up on one of the late calls is, though he is a right fielder, we should put this into perspective. Look at the best players in baseball. They're yeah. pretty much right fielders. Yeah. Juan Soto is a right fielder. Ronald Acuna is a right fielder. I love Mike Trout, but Mike Trout should probably play right field. This I, I've been saying, I went at it on the Just Baseball show with, uh, at it as, as a joke, but me, my friend Jack McMullen, our co-host, uh, broadcaster actually the Fort Wayne Tin Caps last year, uh, but we were going back and forth. I'm like, I think you got to move Trout. Marsh, Brandon Marsh, who I love as a prospect, is it's a plus defender in center, and you're trying to preserve Trout. But <clears throat> to go off of your point, too, Mookie Betts, guy that plays Mookie. predominantly right field as well. Bryce I mean, Harper, Bryce Harper, <laughs> Judge, yeah, named like seven. <laughs> They're the war leaders. There's like, if we went to the top twenty, I think every single one of those guys has been in there like solidly for three years plus. Like, like since Soto was, you know, able to to you know walk or whatever you want to say, right? <laughs> so a question on on adley though and this is a super nitpicky thing so we're talking about the number one prospect in baseball right is there any concern at all about the somewhat dramatic splits i mean you look at his numbers against or from from the right side an ops over a thousand his numbers from the left side 825 ops by no means a slouch of course but yeah. it, it's worth noting that you're going to hit about 60 percent of the time from that left side, uh, given that you're going to see more right-handed pitching. 256, 377, 449 slash line from the left side of the plate. 350, 439, 621 slash line from the right side of the plate. Is that at all of note or did that come up at all that, in discussions? That came up in like the initial first discussion as we were ranking the first three players in the list. So before, Because what we do is we put together a list with our 150s and we hop on a call and we sort of hash out the top 50, go back the next day, hop on another call, we hash out 51 through 100. So that was honestly one of the first points that was made. I think Josh Norris might have been the one that made it. And, um, you know, it was brought <laughs> it was brought to the table kind of exactly the way that you did, where it was kind of like, hey, I know that an 825 isn't bad, but at the same time, does this concern you at all? It was kind of like, oh. So initially, he was ranked second. So we had Julio one, and like I said, the industry feedback that we got, not from the Orioles, uh, pushed Adley to number one. So, um, so internally, like I had voted for Julio one, I know Josh had voted Julio one and Carlos, because I know he tweeted it out as well. Carlos had also voted for Julio one. And I think we said it on the, the podcast that we recorded on Wednesday. Uh, it, was, it was Kyle, myself, and um, and and uh, Carlos. And the home road splits, too. Uh, a little interesting. I mean, at home, OPS of 1,000. On the road, 793 for Adley. And the only reason I'm picking on this is, is because you look at the other two guys. They mash everywhere, every day of the week, no matter what hand the pitcher's throwing from. Uh, and that's the only question I guess I have. But again, you have a switch hitting catcher here, which might offset that. But just the combination of the home road splits and the lefty righty splits would maybe just be enough for me to, to cast a, a microscopic amount of doubt to drop them to three. But I mean, again, again, we're splitting hairs to yeah. say the least. I was just curious if that was something that you personally, does that at yeah, I mean, all three does that three. matter to you at all? <laughs> um, yeah. I mean, I had him three of the, uh, of the three. And yeah. you know, I think the thing with wit is you can pick apart Bobby Witt's approach, which mm -hmm. I agree with. I think it's very easy to see. 
The other thing that Bobby Witt, in my opinion, has going for him that Adley, um, who I think is our second oldest number one overall prospect behind Daisuke Matsuzaka. Oh, wow. Yeah. He's 24, he's 24, it's 28, 24 season. And uh, Julio is, I, you know, I think Julio would be underrated. The athleticism, the body is great, yada, yada, yada. For me, the power and some of that stuff will come for Julio, but we kind of know what Julio is, right? It's more polished. We're like, there's this whole other element of Bobby Witt with like the twitch and just like freak power and abilities where that approach is going to get more refined over time. He's still very young. I think we forget like, yeah, the approach, yada, yada. this guy had never played off the complex prior to yeah. this. He had never played off the complex because even like, alternate site games whatever you want to throw out there with that fine whatever it's not the same right it's not, they're not it's game planning for you they're not you know you're sleeping in the same bed every night it's a controlled environment you got like seven fielders and like two coaches out there shagging fly balls it's not the same so i think that you know the the, the thing was is like you look at the fact he rose all the way up to AAA, put up the numbers that he did there's still a lot more left in the tank in terms of projection in my opinion with bobby witt than there are with the other two that's not to say the other two won't get better as players just get better as they age and get more experience of course but i think that wit is the guy where um you know the upside could be you know the highest of the three and it's i don't think it's going to be a question of us like looking back on this top three and being like oh man you know player x should never have been a top three prospect like no no of course of course i think it's more going to be like oh crap like you know Bobby Witt was three and, you know, look at him. I mean, he's the best player in baseball or something. I mean, like yeah, the exactly. outside of the, air, the contact and approach improved. And we saw signs of that throughout the season. I mean, I think we forget how he struggled out of the gate. Like he was terrible the first few weeks of the season. I think he was hitting like a hundred with like a homer, you know? Uh, and then it's just like, you know, it clicked and it was just rocket show the rest of the time. A hundred percent. And, and I know we've already seen, heard some rumors that, they might consider him at third base. I might vomit if, if that happens. I understand that Nicky Lopez is in the fold, but I, I want to see Bobby Witt picking it at short. I watched probably almost every single ground ball he fielded. Uh, like I just one day sat down and just wanted to just see how he moves it short. And oh my gosh, is he just fun to watch over there? And it would be ridiculous uh, to move him over to third. But sticking to the Kansas City trend here, MJ Melendez, a guy who had a massive breakout season. Uh, could not have been much better at the dish. I mean, he's the home run champ in the minors, uh, really just made the K rate go from extremely high to almost nothing. Uh, the catching, I think, is is pretty solid. I'd like to hear what you think about that. And and the approach is strong, and he's got this really great makeup. Father's a coach at FIU. Uh, I'm a big fan of MJ's. He's climbed up a lot, too. I'm curious what your perspective is on somebody that, you know, we saw him in 2019, struggled mightily, to say the least. No 2020, emerges in 2021, and dominates minor league baseball at the highest level. Doesn't really have anything else to prove in the minors. What are your thoughts on MJ Melendez? Yeah, I think uh, Melendez should be in the mix this year. Um, he had a tremendous uh, shutdown, actually. You know, I know somebody that uh, had worked in the FIU staff a little bit with, with uh, Melendez and, you know, knows uh, MJ pretty well. And uh, he just put in the work in the cage and, yeah. you know, figured out, you know, his timing. I uh, made some mechanical adjustments to be a little bit short of the ball, tapping to more of his power. 
I saw the ball a lot better than he ever had as a professional. Yeah, approach. Approach was big, too. Yeah, so I think it was just a combination of all of it. He's a really good athlete. He's a good defender back there. You know, yeah. I think I think he's being undersold a little bit as a catcher because they've tried him at different positions. I think that's all part of trying to get his bat in the lineup alongside, you know, Salvi Perez on days where Perez is, isn't de-aging, which I think we're going to see more prevalently. I think we're going to see Sal Perez – you know, catch less and probably DH more. I totally agree. You got, you got to preserve him. You got to preserve him. And and MJ, I think you want to get him the reps and what better way to develop a catcher than side by side with Salvi Perez, who obviously is not the receiver that he once was, but is a brilliant mind behind the dish. And there's a reason why, I mean, yeah, exactly. He knows the staff. I mean, and I think any, Royals pitcher will tell you that they still want to pitch to Salvi Perez. I don't think any of them are upset that they're pitching to Salvi Perez because he, he knows how to call a game. He knows the staff and, and that's a great guy to learn from last guy on the Royals front. Then uh, you, you have somebody else that had a big breakout year after a bad 2019 and Nick Prado, Nick Prado. Uh, I I'm not sure where he slid in. Do you remember off the top of your head where he slid in on the top prospect list here for you guys? Oh, top of my head, I'm gonna have to look. <laughs> I got it. I got it right in front of me. Nick Prado slides in at 43. So okay. Prado's in at 43, which you know, I mean, he had a phenomenal year. Another guy that did it in AAA doesn't really have much else to prove, but there is a level of swing and miss there uh, that we saw through the upper levels in the minor leagues. He was still able to offset it with walks, offset it with power. Is there concern that he might not make enough contact at the big league level uh, to be able to really be an everyday guy? Is that, is that at all a concern? No, I, I don't think so. Um, you know, I think it's kind of on that line of like, he makes just enough approach for it not to be a fatal flaw. Yeah. Uh, some of it was by design too, um, mm. of him getting more aggressive. He walks a ton as well. Yes. So, you know, maybe it turns into like kind of like an offensive profile similar to like Miguel Sano or someone like that. Um, you know, I know Dylan White over my former employer prospects live had put something together, uh, kind of comparing different hitters. And I think he actually had a Miguel Sano comp on uh, Prado, much better defender. Um, you know, he's about as much of a plus defender as you can be as a first baseman. Uh, so he has that going for him, I think, as well. So he'll probably hold down that job, I would say, relatively, uh, you know, quickly, uh, some point in 2022. He's going to hit for power. He's going to get on base. And, um, you know, I, th- I don't think all is lost with the approach. Like, he could no. still be a 270 hitter. Um, yeah. It just, it's just a matter of, you know, what he's swinging at and uh, just making some adjustments. And, but, and he's good enough he's left on left. Yeah. He's good enough yeah, he, left on left. Yeah, exactly. I don't, I, I don't think he's going to get platooned, you know. No. I think the guy they're going to have to figure out is like Vinny Pasquantino, how they're going to try to fit him in. Cause I know, but we love that guy. We love that guy. I mean, I, that's funny. Cause the last time after we recorded, I was like, dude, what's the deal with Vinny Pasquantino? Why are we not hearing more about this guy? And I'm excited to see how, how he fits into the uh, equation next year. The Royals, Jeff, that's going to be a fun team to watch next year. It really is. I, I'm really it's, excited to watch them. It's Yeah. It's not, it's not, it's not a bad club. Not at all. They've got the vets too. I think Whit Merrifield's going to bounce back. I, I'm not totally giving up on Kyle Isbell either. I, I think he no, can be an outfielder as well. Uh, so really that's the second half, actually. Really good. So that's an exciting team over there that uh, uh, it'll be fun to follow. Uh, heading over to even further west, and your number twelve prospect here, George Kirby, someone that you know I've 
probably been talking about ad nauseum uh, since the early days of locked on MLB prospects. Just a guy that it, it's just, it's so obvious why there's so many reasons to like him. He throws easy upper nineties, has touched a hundred and has phenomenal command. Secondaries are the thing that we had to see improve a little bit. I thought we did in some ways last year, obviously you guys saw enough in the secondaries to bump George Kirby up all the way to number 12. Uh, can you talk about a little bit of, of what that process was like? Because, I mean, that's a big jump for George Kirby, and, and I, I agree with it. Yeah, yeah. I think, you know, a big part of it is, um, you know, the fastball quality and command. He doesn't have crazy movement. He's got good release characteristics, though. It's a fairly low release height. Um, he throws a ton of strikes. I mean, he had the highest strike rate of any four-seam fastball in the top 100 by about – four percentage points which is a fairly large jump um you know set over a 75 percent um strike rate on his forcing fastball and he's he's doing that at you know 97 98 miles an hour on average um so it's really unique uh had a higher whiff rate on that pitch of course um and i think you know fastball command and quality is uh sort of the chassis on which like all starting pitching you know <laughs> is built upon um, you know, he doesn't have a, like a swing and miss slider, um, but he commands it well and gets decent results off of it. Uh, he, you know, it's kind of the same thing with a curveball. He commands it fairly well. It's got good movement actually, and misses a little bit more bats than he does with the slider, but sort of just enough. Um, and then he's got a good changeup, but, uh, in terms of shape, he's got trouble landing the changeup. If he was able to land that changeup a lot more, I think that's kind of the final piece in the the Kirby puzzle here uh, had dealt with some injuries obviously as well, but I think, you know, ultimately uh, the upside is, you know, a, a, a front of the rotation type of arm and he fits the profile. You know, he's a, a college right-hander that was a little bit underrated uh, that had tremendous command at Elon and the stuff has taken a jump. And I still think that there's potentially more ceiling with the secondaries, he could absolutely in terms of location and sequencing. And we know that he has that sort of innate feel already. Um, so yeah, I think he's a guy that uh, could probably steal a lot of strikes with the slider and his fastball is going to eat. So, um, you know, I, I, I don't think he's in Baz or, you know, Boz or, or Grayson territory. Yeah. Um, but he's kind of a good cushion for that sort of next uh, group. And has that that high floor too, right? Of yeah, you know, and I think you know he's going to be a big league starter no matter what. Almost exactly, exactly. I Which think is that's hard to say. Yeah. That's hard to say. And, and that fastball with even just the average secondaries like that plays as as a number three, number four worst case scenario, probably even better than that. So if he develops those secondaries, I mean, uh, I think the world's his oyster. So I, I'm really excited to see. Kirby and the amazing thing about the Mariners man, is, you know, they've got Gilbert up there who I thought really started to figure it out at the end of the year. But, you know, if they want to fill out the rest of the rotation, if some guys are faltering, like if Kirby doesn't work, they've got brash. If brash doesn't work, hopefully Hancock's not too far behind. Like they have so many dudes of Hancock struggling. They got Williamson. There's just so many irons in the fire that this team, I don't see how they don't succeed. I, I don't know how it's possible for them not to succeed uh, with building out that team. Uh, another guy that I think is going to be a big impact and maybe one of the rookie of the year favorites in the National League next year, O'Neill Cruz. 
We only saw him for a cameo at the big league level, but I, I love him at 14. He's a guy that's going to jump up our top 100 list a bunch. Uh, the more I've been able to watch him. I mean, the power is just stupid. Uh, and you also have a guy that really figured out how to swing it a little bit more. Uh, what do you think this, what is the ceiling on O'Neill Cruz? I mean, what does this look like? Uh, and, and does he have any chance to stick at shortstop? Uh, yeah. So the last question, I think there's a chance um, we heard as, as much, you know, he's got a ton of range. He does some things. Well, um, I, you know, I think like the question is, and I think it was JJ Cooper that had actually brought this up to me, but it's like, you know, the difference in like the couple of like more routine ground balls that he may miss because he doesn't get down in time versus like the hot shots above your head. Like, you know, how many more of those does he make that kind of balances it out? Yeah. I think it's a good question. Now, he still has a lot of range. I don't think people, I think people undersell the range a lot. He covers a ton of ground and more of it is, it's more than just his length. You know, he's, he is quick and he's got a twitch. He's got a rocket for an arm too. So, you know, I, I think that if he doesn't make it at short, he ends up at third, but if it all clicks, I mean, this is, it's like a six foot seven Fernando Tatis juniors. You know, like it's like, this guy that just does freaky things that you don't totally understand. And at times it seems like it's out of control, but his, you know, ability and athleticism and natural, you know, strength, you know, kind of, kind of, uh, you know, cover all those sort of deficiencies or, you know, uh, aggressive tendencies. So he's uh, the, the upside, I think is as high as ever, anyone on the list. I think we've all said that, that like, you could say O'Neill Cruz is going to be the best player on this list because you came from the future 10 years, you know, yeah. <laughs> you, you just came out of your time capsule to announce that O'Neill Cruz of all things is the best player in baseball. And I wouldn't be like totally shocked. Uh, not at all. Not, not, not at all. I mean, I, I love the Tatis comp because it's really that ability to impact the baseball that just very few have. And uh, the quality of contact is the slugging on contact is, is just stupid. It just won't be, duplicated by very many guys, especially out of the gate, because it, I, I think there's not really going to be any in between with O'Neill Cruz. I think it's going to, it's going to click like the way we saw it click with Tatis or he's going to struggle. And I, I think he showed us that it's probably more likely that he's going to put it together. And I, I'm really excited to see what that looks like. Uh, another guy that's kind of ahead of his years. And again, another prospect that probably has some of the best raw power uh, in the, all of the minor leagues, Jordan Walker at 24, uh, one thing that that I noticed with Jordan Walker as I watched more was that I actually think he's got the ability to not only stick at third. I think he can be an above average glove there. That might be a hot take. I know he's got a, a little a lot to work out with his actions, but I was watching him move around over there. Obviously, the arm plays. I was watching him make throws from different slots, and it's like this guy can figure it out over there. I'm curious what you think uh, on the defensive side first, because that's not what many people talk about with him. And then obviously we'll get into the offensive side of things. I think it's how he progresses over the next couple of years. But like you said, I mean, the abilities are there. I mean, otherwise this guy would have been moved over to first base and he's a good athlete. You know, I think that's the thing that I think people look at the power and they don't necessarily recognize that he's also, you know, a, just a, he moves. Dude. Yeah. I mean, you know, he moves pretty well. Um, you know, the, the movements are all really, really balanced. I think it's one of the reasons he can get into the power that he has um, bigger guy. But, you know, we'll see how the body matures and uh, how he holds up. But he's got a high baseline of sort of like fitness. So I'm not terribly worried about that. He's got an arm. So, um, yeah, I don't 
I don't see why, you know, the, the, the Cardinals wouldn't keep him at third base until like the last possible moment. Um, and exactly. he's young enough that, you know, no one Arenado is going to be fairly long in the tooth by then. So who knows? Right. Um, yeah. I, and, and, you know, he's a guy that, uh, talking to a lot of analysts, um, he seems to just break models. He's always number one. You don't find impact like that at that age with, you know, a, a baseline of um, foundational hitting skills. I think that's the thing that like, no I one expected. No, I, I, I didn't. I thought he was going to strike out a lot. And there was like a high bust rate with that pick. Cardinals are very smart, man. They, they, they plucked one out there that I think a lot of folks in the public space were questionable about. And uh, yeah, that was a, uh, that was an ingenious pick by them because he looks like he's moving up with a bullet. Oh yeah. I mean, and that's a guy that, you know, I, I think another one that, you know, time capsule, you come back. I don't think anybody would be shocked if Jordan Walker was one of the best players on this list, you know, come six, seven years from now uh, in major league baseball because of his ability to impact the baseball and then the polish at the plate. I mean, that was definitely something that I don't think anybody expected. And again, I think it's a great point. The athleticism kind of allows him to repeat his moves really well. Uh, that not very many players with that physicality can do uh, staying on the trend of, of the Cardinals in a third baseman that, you know, I've actually made the case that I think the Cardinals should absolutely trade Nolan Gorman uh, for a couple reasons. I just, I'm a little bit lower on Gorman than I think a lot of other people might be. Uh, and I'll kind of make my case for that. And then I would love for you to maybe try to nix that argument in any way. Uh, Cause you guys have him at 34 and, and I can understand it. I mean, the numbers were really good overall uh, for a guy that didn't have that many ABs and ended up in triple a. Uh, my concerns is I, I think that his, his approach and his swing and just him at the plate, I feel like he could get very much exposed at the big league level. Uh, he struggled mightily against lefties. Uh, and he also struggled against Velo. I mean, he saw 336 fastballs, 94 miles per hour and above, and hit 186, 231, 256 against them last year. Uh, and his splits against lefties are, are really rough too, like really, really rough. Is that at all of concern? Uh, and, you know, what is the projection here on Gorman uh, as somebody that, you know, obviously is in this top third of the, of the top 100 list? Uh, yeah, well, I think, you know, you have to consider with him and like Lever towards the same thing, just like the age difference uh, between them and other guys in AAA. I mean, I think it was a difference of like, what, five years or something ridiculous like that. Um, so I think there were some growing pains there. I also think there was some significant progress in terms of him as a contact hitter. Um, you know, bat to ball skills really improved. Uh, he seemed he was trying to get more aggressive as opposed to being really passive and like walk focused. And I think sort of the, the, the next step with him is sort of balancing that on um, base ability and getting, you know, back to sort of that raw power that we know he has. Um, so, you know, I also learned a new position, you know, moved yeah, over a lot of, run, a lot of run at second base yeah, and helped it. And, and, and actually like, you know, held pretty strong there. Like he yeah. looked pretty good at second base. I think it's probably his long-term position. Um, so I think he handled a lot of that adversity pretty well. And, you know, at points in time, um, was really locked in. And I think it was just an inconsistent season somewhat. And still at the end of the day, ended up with, you know, fairly good numbers. He's another guy that evaluators at Sam's really like him. Um, and we get, you know, a fair amount of, uh, of praise on Gorman. Um, was he a little bit higher than maybe I would, would, would have personally had him? 
probably a few spots higher, you know, um, you know, a guy that had very similar underlying numbers uh, to him that I think is a better defender that's further down the list is um, it's actually outside the top 50 um, is Oswald Peraza from the Yankees. If I lined up their, their lines and their exit velocities and their chase rates and all that sort of stuff next to each other, you'd be like, wow, this is the, these are, you know, two like facsimiles of each other. And then I tell you, Hey, but one of them is a plus shortstop defender that can play all over the infield and is, you know, is a 60 plus base runner. Right. Yeah. Um, you'd be like, I'm taking that guy. And then there's no list in the earth that, that ranks in that way. And I think some of it is, some of it is, you know, the upside with Gorman and the power, we know what he can get to. And then, you know, the, the, the challenges that he had to obviously face in a more extended, uh, time in AAA, but it, you know i just kind of thought it was funny com- comparing contrasting those guys they're fairly close they're within 20 spots on the list but at the same time i think um gorman's good uh personally my personal rankings would jeff ponce have him here i am talking in the third person uh would i have him at at 35 34 probably not i would have him lower probably have him uh outside the top 50 but fairly close to 50 so yeah. like i believe a little bit i'm not as high as others i know that there were definitely like, you know, sources that we have out there that are still much higher in goal. Yeah. And the reason why I say trade him is, is only because I just see Jordan Walker as a guy that I think is the same kind of volatility with a lot more of a ceiling. I think I, at least going into it now, you'd probably have to say Gorman's a lot safer given he put numbers up at AAA, but uh, profile wise, I think they're pretty similar. And I don't really understand why they were fast tracking Gorman so much. Like, why is this guy already in AAA? Why are they rushing him? I know that the Cardinals are always really aggressive. Uh, and again, Gorman held his own. Uh, but even at second base, they, they've got Tommy Edmond over there. So are they going to move the gold glover there and, and now put a guy that's learning the position there uh, at yeah. some point that I think is going to go through some offensive struggles who will definitely struggle against left-handed pitching? Like, I, I'm just a little surprised by – the idea of kind of rushing him. And that's why I feel like he's a bit of a tweener where it might make sense to move him for pitching. But as far as I know, and from everything I've heard, the Cardinals are not moving any of those three guys, the main three guys there. And, and I'll believe that uh, from, you know, where I've heard that. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's, you know, pretty much what we've heard and, you know, heard high things on Gorman. Um, so, yeah, I just got to, uh, got to see how it shakes out. <laughs> yeah. Another third baseman who I really, really like and I was amped to see you guys put him up here at 40 because he he just checks all the boxes you look for in a hitter doesn't strike out a lot makes a ton of contact and we were talking before we started recording of guys who are just I mean he puts up good exit velocities Miguel Vargas but just backspins baseballs he just knows how to hit is the best way to put it can go to all fields can get to tough pitches uh but a, a guy that just has a feel for driving the ball, uh, for lack of a better way of describing it. I, I'm a huge Miguel Vargas fan. I think he's a high floor guy that could still give you plenty of ceiling as well. Uh, what are your thoughts on Vargas? He's a guy that kind of came out of nowhere, not a big bonus baby or anything like that. But, man, I could just watch this guy hit all day. So he comes from a famous baseball family in Cuba. I don't know if you realize that. His dad is uh, kind of like on the level of like uh, – like Lourdes Guriel, who's like the senior. Um, and I forget the other one whose dad is a, a famous baseball player. But I think Vargas and like Guriel like played on the same like Cuban national teams like in the 80s. Interesting. 
and um, he maybe signed for like three hundred, four hundred thousand dollars. Uh, you know, but was a younger Cuban that maybe didn't have a ton of fanfare. Um, hit tool guy that's really developed. Um, we've seen him add some physicality. There's above average power there. Uh, the exit velocity numbers wouldn't like you know drop your jaw or anything like that. Um, but he's just very solid. Makes a ton of contact. Um, you can't sneak strikes by this guy. No. I think it's the, the the best descriptor that I can give. Uh, so if you throw this guy fastballs in the zone, he's going to pound him. Um, and he's going to continue to hit. And I think the approach, the walk, some of that stuff that maybe, maybe some folks maybe have questions about, I think some of that stuff will come. We've seen hitters like this. Uh, typically, the walk rates uh, start to climb. You know, after a couple of years in the major leagues, and you know they pitchers start to pitch around him a little bit more because they know that they can't sneak something by him. Um, big question with him is defensively: Is he a third baseman? Do they move him over to first? Could he maybe play second? Does he end up in left field? Is he a DH? There's defensive questions with him, but I think overall, um, you know, Vargas is bad is going to work, and you know. We're ushering in the the age of the NLDH. I'm I'm almost certain of it. I think everyone yeah. is. It's an accepted sort of uh, element of baseball that's going to happen, whether it's this year or 2023 going forward permanently. Guys like this are going to fit in a little bit better. A hundred percent. In terms of the path, uh, obviously doesn't have the the exit velos of a Xander Bogarts, but in terms of just how it's hard to get fastballs by him and the bat path is is there is that a crazy type of comparison am i nuts to, to kind of see some of that in terms of just how hard it is to get a fastball by him in the zone no i don't think it's i don't think it's crazy you know that's what i see with him and i'm just i'm like that i see him translating really well to the big leagues in a, in a, in a league that is just dominated by high spin fastballs up in the zone i mean that's in vogue and uh, his path i think is built for that it's built to be able to hit that and i think that's why we saw him run into some home runs and uh, what would you say that the offensive ceiling is of Miguel Vargas? Huh, that's a good question. I was kind of like trying to think of a of a comp, like offensively for for him. Um, I mean, I'd, I'd have to pull up some names kind yeah. of in front of me here to like come up with something that's actually like viable. Is thirty um, home runs in the tank there? I think it's possible. I think that's kind of his high end. He yeah. seems more like a 20 homers kind of guy for me. Uh-huh. Um, but, you know, with the way they change up the baseballs and he's going to, if he's <laughs> plays in LA, he might get some of those prime time juicy balls. Right. Oh, yeah. <laughs> the pri- yeah. 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 More prime time games, you get more homers, right? It- <laughs> yeah, exactly. The more prime time games you get, like the more, the more home runs you, you, you ultimately get. Um, but it's funny, like I, I had like, you know, an, a name like Brian Reynolds that kind of came to mind. He's not a switch hitter like Reynolds. I don't know if he's going to hit win a batting title, but I think Reynolds is, was was kind of similar. We're like, um, so more walks coming, you saw more power coming. Um, frankly, Vargas is probably a better prospect than Reynolds was. Yeah. Um, the, like Reynolds coming out of Vandy, he was more like a 100 to like 250 kind of a ranked prospect where Vargas is obviously ranked where he is. So, yeah, you know, I, I'll throw out Reynolds there because Reynolds doesn't run a ton. He's not going to have the defensive value in the outfield that Reynolds has. But, like, at the plate, doesn't strike out a lot. It's a good approach. There's some power, but it's not, like, the defining part of his game. Um, he's just a really smart hitter, you yeah. know. And I look at the numbers, 24 homers, you know, 93 runs, 90 RBIs, 302, 390, 522 from 
Brian Reynolds. And I, I, I think, you know, ceiling for Vargas could be something similar to that. And we'll leave it there for part one of this interview with Baseball America writer Jeff Ponce. And I mean, the guy is just a wealth of information, as you can tell. And we got a lot into the top end guys, as you noticed in this part one. But in part two, we go through the entire top 100 list, some of the back end guys, some of the guys that fell out. And also some of the names towards the back end of the top 100 who could be legitimate top 15, top 20 prospects by the middle or end of next season. So a lot more interesting conversation in part two, which should be out not too far behind this part one here. I really hope you enjoyed the episode. Jeff will be a guy that will undoubtedly, I don't like to speak for him, but he will definitely be on the podcast again in the near future, especially as Baseball America continues to just churn out fantastic content over there. Part two coming very soon. Some great player interviews coming as well, not too far away. Also, a Mariners system rundown where I am really excited to talk about that ridiculous farm system as well and a few things in between in the scheduling over the next couple weeks. If you could just take a second also to rate the podcast and leave a review, whether it's on Apple Podcasts or now Spotify. I would appreciate that very, very much as it helps me grow this now new show uh, back from zero. And the numbers have already been so encouraging out of the gate. Can't thank you enough for the support. Hope you enjoyed the episode and I look forward to talking prospects with you again tomorrow. Tomorrow.